it's a great opportunity and a great blessing to be able to play behind those two guys, you know, two gold jackets soon to be. And, you know, I couldn't ask for anything else. I don't Triple Zero is the anti-hot take sports show. I'm your host, Josh Buckhalter. Follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit the Facebook page, Clocker Sports website, ClockerSports.com. And, of course, the email address is ClockerSports at gmail.com. And follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Three Zeros Pod. That's the number three zeros and pot that voice you heard was one trevis gibson uh bears edge rusher and uh he was talking about the opportunity to learn behind uh, a pair of hall of famers in khalil mack and robert quinn robert quinn broke the Bears single season franchise uh sack record last season but gibson could have a much bigger opportunity ahead of him coming up this season but we'll get to that in a second because of course you know we've, we've made the switch we are talking nba first and foremost and so that means we got to get right into it, and the first story that we got, man, is Zion Williamson is apparently getting close to making his return. He has returned to the team. He was up in Oregon trying to get his rehab back. Obviously, this is a shock to some because there were reports just recently about him having some more setbacks with his foot and all this, that, and the third. But uh, with photos coming out of him being in shape and everything, of course, you got the the uh, typical narrative about how, you know, he, is he in shape, is he not in shape, angles and this, that, and the third. The fact of the matter is he's back with his team, and that's the most important part for the Pelicans because – since they got T.J. McCollum, they've looked like a different kind of team. I'm not going to say they're necessarily a contender, but they definitely are a different kind of team. C.J. gives them some some uh, veteran leadership that they were severely lacking in that group and kind of just some professionalism because, again, like I said, there's not many vocal guys on that team in terms of uh, maybe just the, the, the blunt assessment that, that C.J. often gives. So I like the move when it happened. I really like it now. And, of course, I like it for Zion because he needs some guard play around him. Him and Brandon, uh, McCullough and Brandon Ingram around Zion could make them a really dangerous team if Zion can come back and and stay. That's the important part. Stay healthy. Uh, we don't know if he'll be able to do that. He has not suited up yet this season. Um, like I said, the, 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 his weight has been a constant subject of uh, consternation this, this entire year from the moment they had him in that Mountain Dew commercial with Zach Levine and he was looking kind of chunky. Um, he showed up at media day looking a little bit chunky. But then again, as I've talked about before on this very show, when you can't uh, you know, stand on your foot, can't use your foot, it's probably, probably hard to do any kind of cardio, any type of uh, fat-burning exercises. So now that we see him getting closer to making his return, uh, the question really does beg to be asked, what is – the future for the Pelicans. Do they try to make this work with him? Does he try to make it work with them? Um, I'm not sure that they are ever going to get the kind of return that his stardom brings uh, to that franchise. Also, if you move him, you probably might as well just blow up everything else, and getting in McCollum doesn't seem like that kind of uh, a signal for that being in the cards. So I would I would guess that we're going to see him sign that max. We're going to see him sign that max contract. Let's not. That's not even a question. Um, but I think that we see them at least try to make it work for another year before we, we start hearing those grumblings again because I think maybe even more than the dissatisfaction with what was going on in New Orleans, the public perception of Zion took a big hit. A lot of people just felt like he was uh, kind of being entitled and a brat and, and a bad teammate. Um, I've never thought he was a bad teammate. I thought that he could have handled things better, but I think there's a big leap from uh, going from being able to handle things better to being a bad 
X, Y, Z. That's, that's, there's a, there's a, a massive gap between those two things. And so I was never ready to call him that. I did think that it was poor, poor, a poor look, a bad look that he hadn't reached out to CJ McCollum when the trade went down. Uh, but as I said at the time, and I'll, I'll stand on it, doesn't make him a bad teammate. None of this makes him a bad, we, we don't know. Nobody said he's a bad teammate, right? There, that hasn't come from any of his teammates. So, um, that was a premature assessment. Uh, the, the weight thing is always going to be up in the air because there's going to be people who will say that this angle showed them this way. And at this time, we don't know when the commercials were filmed. Angles do play a role in how you look. The fact of the matter is all that New Orleans cares about is that they can get this guy back on the court because when he is on the court, he's dominant and we've seen it. So, uh, like I said, the, the, the Pelicans have a nice outlook if they can keep him healthy with McCullum and Ingram in tow. Uh, we'll see what they do going forward, though. But I do, I did have to lead off with that because that's been a big, big, big topic of conversation all year uh, with, with Zion and his his health and his long-term status because, again, like I said, man, everybody has, has acknowledged his dominance when he's able to stay on the, fl- on the uh, floor, but that body type, the gait that he has when he walks has big, been a big uh, topic of discussion. I'm not necessarily going to go down that road because I'm not, you know, uh, an ortho in that regard. I can't tell you how that would contribute to somebody uh not having a long the longevity that they probably should have but i do know that uh what i've seen when he plays is is a uh, an otherworldly type of superstar and superstar potential because he hasn't quite reached that level yet name recognition yes production and performance not quite um but he's different he's just different to put it in but i just know other way i could really put it he's just different and so uh yeah i think that's where we're, we're at with them that they have a very bright future but they got to work some things out still with him getting keeping him healthy and uh if they do that, then they could possibly take a leap, not like the Grizzlies because they're doing a different way, but a team that just kind of plays better than they played this year despite not necessarily changing over too much next season, as long as everybody can stay healthy. Uh But that does bring me to my next topic, and that's contenders versus pretenders. And I talk about this in light of the 76ers getting obliterated by Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and the Brooklyn Nets. Now, uh, a lot of talk has been made over, you know, this is what James Harden does. Um, uh, Embiid and the and the, the the Sixers lost this end of the deal because when Simmons comes back, when he comes back for the Nets, he's gonna provide much more than hard will and clutch moments. Um, first of all, to that point, I was just gonna say I don't know if they saw Ben Simmons pass up the the the, the layup. I've been a person who's who's kind of defended him in that regard, but I'm not gonna act like he doesn't pass up big moments too. So that being said, uh, Harden was like two for seventeen, something like that, from the floor in that game. That the, the Nets won 129 to 100, and as a person who has been stumping, you know, pounding the the, the 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 desk for this being beneficial to both parties, I didn't think the Sixers won. I just thought it was beneficial to both parties. I've had people who told me, no, it's the Nets, and I see where they're coming from. I'm still going to hold out on that because we don't know what Simmons is going to contribute yet. If he if he gives you nothing, I would still say even if Harden flames out in the playoffs, that he they would still have won because Ben's dealing with a back issue and he hasn't even played. So, and then that we haven't even got that doesn't even touch on his uh, offensive issues, right? The mental part of him not wanting to shoot shots and all that kind of stuff. So, the the, the question is contender versus pretender. And with Brooklyn, we've seen them be a team that slid all season when they haven't been healthy. They've had Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie Irving in and out of the lineup. Kyrie's a part-time player that should be ending, I believe, if it has, hasn't ended already with the mask mandates being lifted. Um, and so, the preseason favorite in Brooklyn is rounding into form at a good time while Philadelphia apparently after you know kind of rolling over the first few teams have hit a couple of stumbling blocks in Miami and Brooklyn now 
And in that Miami game, they could only score 90 or 82 points. And I don't think Harden played in that game, as I pull it up right now just to double check to make sure, because I don't want to say that they were, you know, they were fully, yeah. Harden didn't play in that one, so that was kind of out by the wayside. But you still have that, uh, that loss to Brooklyn sitting there, and, you know, that's what you're going to face in the playoffs. That's why the conversation about, and I'm, I'm kind of getting sidetracked here, but the team, the, the, uh, the, Bulls record against top teams has been discussed often. And now it's getting down to their 0-14 against the top three teams. Okay. All right. All right. I don't know what you want me to say to that because I didn't think they were winning a championship. And so for them to be 0-14, that that's what we're measuring them by? Cool. We've taken the proper steps this year. Next year, let's try to change that. Um, same thing here with Philly. I, 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 or with, I'm sorry, with, uh, with Brooklyn and Philly. Uh, Brooklyn was running rough shot over a lot of teams, but in a game that Kevin Durant acknowledged was going to be personal for him, at least, if not for the entire team, because he said, if you come at, was it him or Kyrie? One of them said that when you come at Ben, you come at, at all of us, you know, you saw the clips of Ben being booed, getting off the plane, getting under the bus, right, or whatnot. Um, the, the Sixers did not take this game as personal. Now, that could be the, all the difference in the world. I don't think Harden will have the two for 17 or something like that night that he had in this game. But you're gonna have more big moments. You're gonna have, you're, you might see this team again. And when you do, what are you gonna do? Because you had Kyrie Irving sticking defense. And I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, like, he was in the, no, he was playing defense on James Harden and, and getting to him, bothering him. Harden, the guy who people have lauded as being strong and able to get his shot off no matter what, a very versatile scorer. Kyrie, six foot two, giving up three inches and some odd pounds, 20 some odd pounds probably. He was, uh, he was, he was holding them down. So, I look at, I look at Brooklyn, a team that took something personal, stepped up when they needed to, despite all the rough patches that they've hit, you know, in their season and, and, and the losing streaks and not gelling right and not being healthy. They stepped up when they mattered, when it mattered most. Then I look at Philly, who's been beasting. They're the three seed right now in the East, if I'm not mistaken. Three seed them and, and, and are, like I said, just, and be dominant. Harden came over looking dominant, right? They go up against the, the 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 buzzsaw, the team that that took it personal when they did it. One of the knocks on Joel Embiid has been that he's been you know too uh, lackadaisical in his approach. Harden has been a guy who hasn't been necessarily uh, c- called committed to winning. Now this doesn't prove that about Joel and him not being committed, but like this is a big you know a big uh, a red flag if you were if it were as you, as it were if you will as it were and if you will. Of what could happen in the postseason, and if the, if either one of these teams flames out early in the postseason, it's going to be a disappointment. And so, as you look around the rest of the NBA, you got you know at the rest of the top teams, you still got uh, Milwaukee and Chicago sitting hanging around there in the East, uh, a game above the Boston Celtics, who are fifth now. Cleveland is not going anywhere. Those top six teams are all pretty dangerous on any given night. And then the play-in tournament is going to be loaded with Brooklyn. Brooklyn's in the play-in right now. And they, are you taking Philadelphia over Brooklyn in a seven game series? I'm not. I'm not. It, it's, it's almost like I feel with Utah every year. Utah and Denver when they're healthy, right? They're good every regular season. But I'm never picking them to win, to come out of the West. Ever. I would never pick Utah. I'm just not. I'm just not. Phoenix wasn't a surprise. Getting Chris Paul, and I've seen what Chris Paul's effect, what the effect of Chris Paul joining a team is. 
Devin Booker was taking those strides. DeAndre Ayton's a good player. They got good role players around those guys. Memphis' ascension. I told you Memphis is going to be a dark horse team coming into this season. That's not surprising. Right? Utah, though, I know what Utah is. As good as Rudy Gobert. Certified Hall of Famer. As great as Donovan Mitchell is. I love Donovan Mitchell's game. They're never going to, they're not representing the West. They're just not. Philly feels like that. With Harden's fading ability, right? Not fade away, fading ability. Not his diminishing skills, his ability to just disappear. Embiid's ability to kind of get worn down, be less effective. Then you got Doc Rivers, who's been in charge of like all the blown 3-1 leads in, in history. That's an exaggeration, but you get the idea. Philly feels like Utah now, where they're really good. They're going to be one of the favorites every year, a juggernaut in the regular, se- regular season. They're probably not going to win. And even I, I, I hope I'm wrong because I like the I like the combination. I like Joel Embiid, Harden's all right. <laughs> Tobias Harris is my guy. Been a fan of Tobias Harris' Orlando days. Just don't see it. I just don't see it right now. For whatever reason. Jason Williams, former Sacramento Kings guard, said that Kobe Bryant is not in his top five Lakers. And listen, before we even get into who he put, who he put in there, the fact that you put a guy who won five championships not in your top five is asinine. Um, 824, we, people celebrate it. I, I, this felt like some old resentment from that 2001 playoff run where the Kings got cheated. He just said he's just not. Not on, people are going to be upset. Yeah, because it's it's BS, and you're full of it. Sorry, Jason. Went white chocolate. Always was a fan of your game, bro. This is a, probably one of the worst takes I've ever heard from somebody who's been in the game. I don't think I've heard anybody in the game say it. That's that's crazy. That's crazy. And I know there's a lot of like I think he had who did he have? Uh, West Shaq. Oh, he put LeBron in the five. Did he not put LeBron in his five? Hold on, I gotta pull it up to make sure I get this right because it was crazy to see him say. To hear him just say on the surface that Kobe Bryant wasn't in there. And the result of that were people were trying to put LeBron in the top five, which I, I don't – if you want to say LeBron's a better player than Kobe, fine. But I'm not sure how you get LeBron is a, a better Laker, an all-time Laker than Kobe Bryant. That doesn't make any any damn sense. You got to be crazy. You have to be crazy to say that because the only person who would say that is probably LeBron. And I don't think LeBron say that. I mean, I, I just don't. I, I Yeah, Kobe went 72 against uh, Jason Williams in the playoffs, and so – yeah, Kobe Bryant. Kobe's not as high on my list as people would really think he should be. I'm not even sure. So let me say this. He didn't he didn't take him out completely, but he didn't say he's not sure that Kobe is in his top five Lakers of all time. You know, I I I just like I said, he didn't put LeBron in the top five over Kobe. Others did that. Uh, but to say that Kobe's not in your top five Lakers, I think is crazy. To, to what he did for the, for the franchise, what he did for the game of basketball, to bring the franchise back to relevance, I think it's just completely crazy. I, 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 there's no other way to put it. He's not in your top five Lakers? Not top five Lakers? It's disappointing. It really is disappointing that people will let their biases and stuff like that impact their, what they say on wax. It's on wax. You didn't just say this to your boys. This is on wax. This was in like an interview. Like, I, very disappointing development indeed because I, I just, I, I, I wrote a piece for Pippin Ain't Easy when Kobe passed RIP about how Kobe Bryant changed a Chicago Bulls fan into a basketball fan. I, I, mm, mm, mm. 
<sighs> anyway, like I said, there was there was <laughs> that that right there is probably one of the worst things I've ever heard because Jason was a guy who I like I like I mentioned who I admired his game for when he was playing. Um, but that record against Kobe in the playoffs is probably goes a long way to why he's he's probably not even in my top five. Well, that's not top five Laker busted Joe Taylor every chance he got. Mm, you hate to see it. Hate to see somebody go out that way. Speaking of going out that way, I don't know if this will be his last season, but uh, San Antonio Spurs head coach Greg Popovich has surpassed Don Nelson for the all-times wins list, and uh, it was a great moment. I retweeted, again, follow me on Twitter, at Josh G. Buck, um, the, the, the scene of Spurs players mobbing him after the entire game had come to an end, and then him breaking out real free to run to the locker room. It was very Pop-esque. Um, they, they got him again in the locker room. DeJounte Murray said some nice things about him. Also retweeted that, I believe, again, Follow me on Twitter, Joshy Buck. But what I wanted to talk about was what Pop had to say after the game because we often criticize him for being very short, curt, disrespectful, even borderline uh, with a lot of reporters when he's when they're doing uh, sideline interviews and stuff like that. But this was a moment that I think showed how significant the moment was and really the true nature of one head coach, Greg Popovich. It's just a, a testament to a whole lot of people. Uh, something like this does not belong to one individual. Uh, you know, basketball is a team sport, and, uh, you know, you preach to your players that they have to do it together, and that's certainly been uh, the case in, in my life with all the wonderful players and coaches, staff uh, that I've been blessed with, the uh, support of this wonderful city, uh, the fans support us no matter what. Uh, all of us share in this record. It's not mine. Uh, it's ours here in the city because of all those people that I just mentioned. So uh, that's the joy of it. Uh, and after that, that's it. Somebody else will have it down the road. And so there you have, there you have San Antonio Spurs head coach Greg Popovich uh, speaking about how he just, it, it, it takes a team effort, group effort, doesn't belong to one person. Um, after passing Don Nelson with the all-time win, 1,336 wins in his career. Um, I'm not even sure who's close in the active list to, to uh, catching up to him, but I do know that uh, he was, like I said, very, very, uh, I guess, apoplectic in that in that regard because, you know, like I said, we don't see that side of pop very often, so it's, it goes to show you how significant that moment actually was. And uh, it really is um, a great testament to all the stuff that has gone into this this entire run for him, right? From from a GM who fired his head coach 25 years ago to take over as head coach for the, his first ex- coaching experience to five championships and the all-times wins later in the NBA. That's incredible. That's incredible. That's an incredible run. I'm not sure that anybody um, – is going to match it. Like I said, I, I, I know for a fact nobody's going to be able to uh, – nobody's going to – is going to uh, – how do I put it? Nobody can do it the way he's done it. How about that? You're definitely not going to see anybody come in firing the, the head coach and taking over from the GM's booth, uh, GM office right now, and, and, and be able to handle it the way that Pop has done all this time. Ups and downs, different groupings of players. Um, and everything that's gone into this, like I said, this entire run for him the past 25 years, hats off to Pop, salute. Um, the NBA world took note and, and gave him his congratulations, gave him his flowers on his on his big day, and uh, you just love to see it. So uh, that's going – that's not going to do it, but switching gears. <laughs> <laughs>
The NFL offseason is going on, but they have not slowed down one bit. We had a flurry of trades. It was boarding on a trade a day uh, in the past week here, starting with my Chicago Bears trading. Not starting with, but I'm going to lead with that because it's my show. Uh, the Chicago Bears traded edge rusher Khalil Mack to the San Diego. San Diego, they are going to do it again. Los Angeles Chargers for a package that included a second-round pick and a sixth-round pick in 2013. Um, a lot of people were upset about the return, saying that, hey, they could have gotten more from Mack. I disagree completely. I suggest that you go back and look at the return uh, for a lot of quarterbacks, let alone non-quarterbacks, and then go back and look at what Mack gave you in the past couple of years and see that, hey, this is probably a, uh, as good of a deal they were going to get, and they should be happy that they got it. I'm happy that they got it. <laughs> um, on top of that, he has good football left, but I am a firm believer and in agreement with the Bill Belichick way of, hey, you know, you move on a year too soon rather than a year too late. And I think that that's what we're seeing now um, with, with what the Bears and Ryan Poles are doing because Poles also got rid of uh, Eddie Goldman and Tarek Cohen. So Cohen hasn't played in two years after tearing his ACL. Complications, I'm assuming. Hopefully he gets to play again because it's, he was a dynamic player for them. And I think it's really kind of, uh, disappointing now to see, to see that it's, it's kind of been the, the, uh, complete opposite, right? He hasn't been able to, to get that kind of production. He has been in production. And then Goldman set out 2020, uh, the COVID year, came back last year, but did not look like anything closer to the player that he had been prior to sitting out. And so now the Bears move on as they switch to a new scheme, which makes sense anyway. He has a nose tackle. He has no fit. They need penetrating defensive linemen, uh, especially in the interior, and he's not that. So um, good luck to both of those guys. Good luck to all three of those guys. Uh, but I, 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 for one, am in total agreement and understanding of what's going on and why the Chicago Bears front office, Ryan Poles in particular, is doing what he is doing. And applaud it. Let me say that. I also applaud it. Elsewhere, the Washington Commanders. That's right. No more football team. Washington Commanders traded for one Carson Wentz. Uh, they gave up two-thirds, so it wasn't like they gave up a, a whole boatload, but you gave up draft capital for a dude that the team that gave up a first-round pick for him is getting rid of not even a year later. Like, I don't know what the deal is here. They had to forfeit their first-round pick, Indianapolis did, to the Philadelphia Eagles and are already getting off of that guy. I think that that should tell you all you need to know. Apparently, though, Ron Rivera and those guys so that they can do a little bit better with Wentz under center there. Um, he had the the league's leading rusher or the second leader. Taylor led the league in rushing last season and still couldn't uh, perform just enough to get them over the hump. I think we all remember those bad interceptions close to his own end zone that resulted in pick sixes and how they could not beat the Jacksonville Jaguars to clinch a playoff spot at the end of the season. So now he will try to go to the AFC East, which is admittedly a bit easier than the AFC South, even with the AFC South in the shape that it's been in the past few years. And maybe they back into a win. They have a good defense. They have a good running game. This is probably a better receiving core than he had uh, with, with Indianapolis. But don't sleep on Michael Pittman. Don't act like Terry McLaurin is worlds better than Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman is a solid receiver. Um, the Colts had a really good offensive line, and the the, the football team, the commanders rather, um, it's going to be a transition. I, I'm not a big fan of this deal for them. Hopefully it works out. I don't want to see anybody fail, but uh, damn, that don't look good. <laughs> damn if that don't look bad. Um, elsewhere, Calvin Ridley got suspended. Atlanta Falcons wide receiver who missed most of last year dealing with mental health issues has been suspended indefinitely after betting on his team. You heard me right. <laughs> Gambling on his team. Gambling has taken over a a a massive part of the sports world after being poo-pooed for most of its existence. Um, but with the proliferation of, uh, you know, the, the fan duel and, and draft kings, all that kind of stuff, it's everywhere. 
MGM, points bet, all that kind of stuff. Well, Ridley, during his time away from the team, decided to take upon himself to uh, place a couple of wagers. Yeah, including, uh, I want to say, four grand on his team. That number, don't quote me on that. But it's, he, he didn't place a $0 amount on his team, I'll tell you that. He took to Twitter saying he only bet $1,500. Uh, the results of the examination determined that was a lie in my Maury voice. In my Maury voice. Um, he actually spent $36,000. And... <laughs> I, I was a guy who was like, man, $1,500? Yeah, he should have had somebody else do it. He still should have had somebody else do it. But um, don't do it at all. But you know what I'm saying. 36000 Fam, you there's no way you try to pass off 1500 as or 36000 rather, as 1500 to the public. Like they weren't going to hear about the 36 k You were just slightly off, huh? Just a little bit. 36000 1500 tomato-tomato. I, mm. Mm. Now, I will say this. I do still find a, uh, an indefinite, at least a year-long suspension to be a bit long for – even if he did bet on his team because he wasn't there. Now, you could say that he was betting on his team and he knew he his absence would impact them, but I think he bet them to win. So at that point in time, I you know, you're not helping them win. That's for damn sure. It, uh, it's almost a bad bet, but it cost him $11 million. So from 1500 to 36k to $11 million. Let me say it again. $11 million. <laughs> that's a lot of money to go place a bet. Have somebody else bet for you. I, mm. He's not the only one, but he's a big he's a big name, and they got off the top, so there might be some shifting in the the the, the machinations of how people are are placing their wagers in sports. He can bet on other stuff, just not on his sport. Couldn't help himself. Crazy. It's crazy. Aaron Rodgers got an extension, uh, makes him the highest played player in the NFL uh, after being told that that wasn't what his goal was. We are, I'm still trying to find the details on that, um, but I think it's funny that people try to come out and say that, oh, the media is lying. He tried to come out and say the media was lying on his deal and that he wouldn't be, um, that he wouldn't, he wasn't going to sign the 40 deal for the 50. Whatever the case may be, he would say the media was wrong. Come to find out the whole time they've been telling you that he wanted to be the most play, the, the highest paid player. He's going to get that and whatever the case, that they're going to ride off to the sunset together. Um, here's what I say about this. Not only is he a liar, but also he's a coward. And you can laugh at me and say that I'm just a bitter Bears fan. Possibly. That's, that's fair. That's fair. But how, how does it sound that he is complained about not having weapons? Complain about the state, the status of his team, despite me as a person, as a Bears fan, who said that they've done a good job. Brian Gutekunst has done a very good job building out that roster. Uh, Rodgers has been dissatisfied with what they've done. And yet, you're going to re-up as opposed to going to somewhere else that had weapons for you at the ready. You've seen what happens to other quarterbacks that go and how it boosts their legacy to go and take another franchise to the postseason. And yet he returns to the city that drafted him. But he's failed to reach a, a beyond the, the, the championship game several times now, losing to the same team even. Like, I, I'm not sure that that's a boost to the resume. Um, I don't know if it hurts it, but I think it should because you complained. You said you wanted these things. These things were available to you, and you pivoted back to stay in your comfort zone. Not my goat. Not my goat. <laughs> uh, Russell Wilson. Got traded to the Denver Broncos. And now the AFC West has Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, uh, Justin Herbert, and as the meme said, and then their car. <laughs> their car's over there too. For now. For now. Who knows what happens. But, um, Wilson got traded. 
for a pair of firsts, uh, Noah Fant and Drew Locke and Shelby Harris. Yeah. The key piece in that is Noah Fant. So he got traded for a tight end and a couple of first round picks. Listen, the Seahawks could have gotten three first round picks and better players if they had traded him last year. Instead, they decided to see he'd go down south one more year and have took the brunt of the, the deal. Whatever. Whatever. I love this move for Denver. Um, we'll see what Wilson can really do when he gets a chance to actually cook and, and be the man with some weapons around him. Uh, the Denver still has some, some work to do to build out the rest of their roster, but they got some pieces, man. They got the web, the wide receiver core is, is, is great. Moving Fant hurts, but they still got Albert Okwegwunam there, and he was a, a highly touted prospect coming out last year, so, you know, hopefully they can see what's going on there. <laughs> you know, you never know. Um, but I do think that it's kind of interesting that, uh, that Seattle waited a year just to move him for a lesser package the next year. Pete Carroll, talking about you. And now they're reportedly in on Deshaun Watson, and they're going to be uh, going up against the Carolina Panthers, who are also said to be looking to be aggressive in pursuit of Watson. After his case was heard by a grand jury, and he was found to not uh, be liable, not not guilty. Not I won't say not guilty, because that wasn't what it was. But there was not enough to proceed with a criminal trial. He still has to deal with the civil cases. He still has to deal with the NFL's investigation. But apparently, the criminal part was all that was holding teams back from trying to make a move for him because we've heard multiple teams now come out and be aggressive in his pursuit. We'll see how all three plays out. We'll probably go into it a little bit more next episode because this is, this is something I don't want to just touch on. But I do think that it's interesting how the criminal part's done. So he's not facing criminal charges. They don't care about civil because that's just money out their pocket or the NFL's investigation because we know how the NFL handles uh, things that aren't, you know, kneeling. Just to be, you know, put it simple. And before we get out of here, I do want to touch back on the Bears real quick and uh, Khalil Mack. And it's not about Khalil Mack. Well, I guess kind of. Uh, what I hope this means, I hope this means that the third year now, edge rusher Trevor Gibson will get a chance to step into a starting role and make an impact on this team. He uh, had took major strides last year, seven sacks he recorded on the season, um, and playing behind Robert Quinn and, and Khalil Mack. Like I said, Robert Quinn set the uh, single season franchise sack record. And in a week 17, week 16 game against the New York Giants, uh, Trevor Gibson got two strip sacks on Mike Glennon. And after the game, I got a chance to ask him what it was like sitting behind Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn. And I think it's really appropriate now as he could be getting that chance this coming season. So uh, this is uh, third-year rusher, Bears rusher, uh, Trevor Gibson talking about what it was like learning behind Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn. You talking about being behind Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn and getting your chance and performing like you had today. You know, um... <clears throat> it's it's a great opportunity and a great blessing to be able to play behind those two guys, you know, two gold jackets soon to be. And, you know, I couldn't ask for anything else. You know, a lot of guys, oh, I want to play, I want to do this, this, and that. But I'm literally behind two pass rushers <laughs> that probably top five in the league. And, you know, it's technique, film. I get to watch their steps every day, you know, from sun up to sundown. So, I'm in a great position, and, you know, I honestly couldn't be more appreciative. That is one of my favorite clips that I've – sound bites that I got. I love that. I love that answer. I love the perspective, and I really, really hope that it translates onto the field this season, that he gets a chance to show all that he's learned uh, from the past, from them over the past year plus uh, – last two years, because Quinn was here in 2020 as well. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Triple Zero. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Clocker Sports, website, ClockerSports.com. Email address is ClockerSports at gmail.com. And, of course, follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at 30 Pod. That's the number 30 and 
Pod. And, of course, read the stuff. Last word on pro football. Pippin ain't easy. Soaring down south at cloudsports.com. Until the very next time. Something like this does not belong to one individual.